It's a dominant animal. Uh, get my words out. The lion is a dominant animal. Okay, apparently I think I want to say aminal tonight, but it's actually an animal. Welcome to today's episode of the Mike Thacker Show, where we talk about people, profit, and purpose. And this is a book club episode. So if you are a reader out there, you're going to enjoy this episode. If you're not, dude, start reading. It's good for you. Okay, make the time. We are talking about two awesome books, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Delivering Happiness by the man himself, Tony Shea, founder of Zappos, the awesome foot online retailer that was bought by Amazon for a whole load of money. You can't laugh when I'm literally recording. Footwear is Okay. Apparently, a footwear retailer, as Linda is laughing at me in the studio here, because no, he did not sell feet. I'm pretty sure my listeners are smart enough to realize I didn't mean he actually sells feet. But yes, it is a book club day, so we are going to dive right in here and check them out. Before we do that, as always, thank you to all of you that have left comments or reached out. I do like them. It does help. Take a second, leave a review, help somebody else who's looking at the podcast figure out, do I want to listen to this show? Um, because people read reviews and that kind of stuff. So thanks so much. And um, don't forget, if you're not following me on social, at Real Mike Thacker, all of the social platforms, you can find me on MikeThacker.com. Let's dive in and check out the books. Okay, first book of the day, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. Now, I'm a little behind the curve here because this book came out quite a while ago. And, you know, I got to make a confession. I wasn't always a reader. I've said this before. The reading book's kind of grown on me, although I've been very bad lately and not not read my book a week in the last couple of weeks. So I've got to get back on track. However, the other thing that puzzles me about books like this, before we get into it, whether I liked it or not, and what I think of it is, I've never been a big fan of the whole men's thing, women's thing, kids thing, like everybody's separate thing. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just, I've never been a big fan of it. I've always thought that God, you know, sees us all individually, uh, but yet somehow sees us all collectively as well. And that if he's trying to communicate his message of love, it's as relevant to me as a male as it is to Linda, as my wife, as, as a female. However, however, I've started to think differently about that because of John and because of his book. So Wild at Heart, this is what it says on the front, discovering the secret of a man's soul. Now it is a very manly book. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a lot of, you know, kind of manliness. Let's go out and fish. I don't fish. Uh, Let's go out and hang out with the buddies and spend time together and and all this kind of thing. But what's really interesting is the way that he communicates it and the way that he gets his message across. Look, this is an outstanding book. If you've never read a book about, you know, being a Christian man or you have, but you haven't read this, I would highly, highly recommend it. I would put this book on one of my you know, top reading lists of books you need to read. John does an exceptional job at communicating. I'm going to read a couple of things out of here that stood out to me. But first of all, I'm going to read a little excerpt from the back of the book um, just to tell you what it says. It says, every man was once a boy and every little boy has dreams, big dreams, dreams of being the hero, being the bad guys, of doing daring feats and rescuing the damsel in distress. But what happens when those dreams, or rather what happens to those dreams when we grow up? Walk into most churches, have a look around and ask yourself, where or what is a Christian man? And I got to tell you, I'm with him on this. So sorry, guys, look, I think he's right. You go into the average American church and where are the Christian men? What does it even mean to be a Christian guy? You know, and I don't want to 
get into a whole host of Pandora's box here, but, you know, sitting watching sports all day and, you know, wanting to take care of ourselves and just do whatever we want and, and thinking about us and not everybody else, whether that relates to your family, whether it relates to you and your spiritual walk, there's just, there's so many levels to it, so many layers to it. But I think John's onto something. I think he communicates it really, really well. And I'd encourage you to read this rather than get offended at me um, because he does a whole lot better of a job at communicating this than I probably am right now. The point is the church is not filled with Christian men from a biblical perspective. And I'll give you an example of this. He makes a big deal about God and about Jesus and about this whole idea of, you know, God's this lion of Judah. And it really stood out to me um, in a very strong way I'll show you just how strong in a few weeks' time, but I'm not going to tell you about it now because it's going to be a surprise. Um, but the point is, the idea of God being a lion isn't really like pussyfooting around in the yard or the garden or, or whatever else. You know, it's, it, the lion's an aggressive animal. It's a strong animal. The lion is a dominant animal. And I don't know about you, but I don't get that feeling when I look at the church today. I don't get that feeling when I look at pastors today. So I'm going to just, you know, call you out for a couple of seconds here. I don't get that feeling when I look around at what's going on in America. Where are the men standing up? Where's the manly voices standing up against all the craziness, all the, the cultural whatever that's going on, all the politics and everything else? We need to really figure out who we're supposed to be in God and start stepping up into this a little bit more because what we're doing right now is just pussyfooting around. I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but we are a, a weak version of who God created us to be and what God created us to be. And I like the way that John talks about this. I highlighted this. Um, I'm going to read you a couple of little uh, pieces out of this one. But he talks about, you know, God being intimately personal with us when he's communicating and speaking to us. And, and he gives us some examples here. He's talking about a friend of his called Stacy. And he says that, you know, God speaks through movies. But to Craig, he speaks through rock and roll. To another friend, he speaks through sunsets or, or, or films or music. And the point he's trying to make is God is, is so communicative and, and so interested in trying to reach us in a way that we can comprehend and understand as men that God is well able to do that and get our attention. And so I guess the challenge for us then is, you know, reading a page like this, are we looking for that and are we listening for that or are we still compartmentalizing and we're not even interested in whether God's trying to say something to us when we're reading a book or whether we're watching a movie or whether we're out for a walk and just enjoying nature? Are we keeping our minds open to the fact that God might be trying to reach us on a level that relates and connects with us? You know, if you're a creative person, well, God made you creative. He's probably going to try and communicate with you in a creative way because he sees you as the person he created you to be. If you're um, an analytical person, then he's going to communicate in an analytical way because, again, he made your mind the way that it is and he's big enough to be able to communicate on any level. I know we all say it on our resumes, oh, you know, lead everybody and communicate on every level, but most of us can't, you know, but he can. So I just, that was one thing that stood out to me. So while we're thinking about the strength of the line of Judah and the masculinity of God and all this other kind of stuff, you know, something that, that I don't know, I can't tell you, go read this page or this chapter, but something I gleaned from reading this in general, as I think about Jesus and who I see Jesus and who I've viewed Jesus to be in the past, again, we have this picture of, you know, Jesus, meek and mild, you know, silent night, like the baby never cried. Seriously, pretty sure he did. Um, but when Jesus was, was a grown-up and we read about his ministry years, the three years, think about the things that we read. So he goes to have dinner at a Pharisee's house and the guy starts asking him questions and Jesus just tears right into him. Oh, you Pharisees, you're the worst, blah, 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 blah. Like you're having dinner at the guy's house. Why are you attacking him? And then when the Pharisee tries to defend himself, 
He dives in some more and knocks it to him again. And it's not an isolated incident. You know, he sees these guys changing money at the temple and the Bible says he goes and puts a whip together and starts, you know, chomping it at them. I don't know whether he's whipping them, whipping the tables. It says he overthrew the tables. That's a masculine God. That's a masculine savior that we follow and that we worship. And that's the example that he gave us. I'm not saying we should all go make whips. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is there is a masculine male side of God and Jesus that we have absolutely forgotten or we have, we have pushed away in our modern version of Christianity that we need to bring back a little bit. He did step up. He did rise up. He did challenge. He wasn't always polite and nice to everybody. Half the time Jesus spoke to people, he was offensive and downright rude when you read about it. Read the New Testament. Read the stories of Jesus. See how he handled people who came and asked him questions and things. You know, he didn't mince words. Peter says, Jesus, I don't want you to die. And he's like, dude, get behind me, Satan. He's not saying, oh, Peter, it's okay, buddy. It's all going to be okay at the end. Don't worry about it. You don't have to panic. We're not having a therapy session here. He just dives straight into it and goes, you know, goes to the source of the light. We don't do that today. Paul said, you know, Paul makes statements. If somebody's, you know, doing something that you, they shouldn't be doing or saying something they shouldn't be saying, don't associate with him. Leave him to it. Gossip, slanderers, man, kick him out. Don't, don't waste your time with him. That's not the American church that we're living in right now, that's not the, the, the male Christianity that, that we're experiencing right now. And again, I'm not saying we go to extremes, but we have absolutely missed something from the New Testament. And I think that's partly what John's trying to communicate is, look, there's another side to God here and you all need to know about it and you need to get your hands around it because one day we're going to go spend the rest of eternity with him and you might be surprised at you know, who you're hanging out with and who you're worshiping because he might not be anything you think he's going to be like, and he might not look anything like you think he's going to look like. So I think John's got a point, you know, good for you, buddy. Another, another um, section that I thought was particularly interesting. He talks about the Garden of Eden, and he's talking about Adam. He's talking about Eve, the relationship between husband and wife, between man and woman, between Adam and God. And he says, you know, God gives Adam some instructions on the care of creation and his role in the unfolding story. It's pretty basic and very generous. You can freely eat any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, most of us have heard that. But notice what God doesn't tell Adam. There's no warning or instruction over what's about to happen, the temptation of Eve. And in the words of John, this is staggering. Why didn't God say, Adam, one more thing? You know, a week from Tuesday, about four in the afternoon, you and Eve are going to be down in the orchard. Something dangerous is going to happen. And it kind of goes on from there. Again, it really stood out to me. I've read the story a million times. I probably had thoughts somewhere along the lines of this, but he puts it so eloquently as if to say, why didn't God say something to Adam about the fact that there was going to be a temptation coming up? Why didn't God give him a warning? Why didn't God tell him, hey, you know, this is going to happen and here's how you can overcome that? And, and again, John goes into some explanation of this and Obviously, the book's not just about being a man because he's talking about spiritual things and biblical things, but it's a section that really stood out to me, again, because I've had those thoughts in some way, shape, or fashion, but I don't think I've ever articulated it quite so clearly. You know, you could he could have stopped all this, but I guess God was so deliberately interested in free will and didn't want to give him a head start, give him... I don't know. I don't know how this whole cosmic thing, you know, functions between God and, and the devil at the beginning of creation. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is 
It was a great chapter. It was a great section of the chapter. Go and read it. Read it for yourself and see what you think of it. But he just brings out nuggets like this over and over and over again. You know, talking about the Lion of Judah, a man is fierce, a man is passionate, a man is wild at heart, but you wouldn't know it from what normally walks around in a pair of trousers. And I think he's right. And I think some of it's cultural, folks. I think that the position of a man in our culture today, in the Western world, in America, what, we have, what we've decided a man should be in our, our, I don't know, our feminine side, our, our, our in-touchness with the world, with nature, with whatever, I think we've lost something. I think we've, we've modified it to a point where this isn't biblical manhood anymore that the culture and society says we're supposed to be if we're male. And I'm not saying we should go back to being, you know, chauvinistic and, and all the things that, you know, that were wrong with, with manhood 30, 40 years ago. But I think something is skewed off. And I think when you look at church and you look in general, churches have more women than men. Typically, more volunteers are female than male in the American church. There is something missing. There is a connection missing. And we're not doing a great job of figuring out how God's manliness, God's strength comes through his masculinity into the lives of the males that he created. And that's not to say that women aren't important, but that's not the topic of the book that we're talking about today. So look, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, awesome book. Really, really enjoyed it. I was very surprised when I read it. I did not think I would enjoy this book as much as I did. So I would encourage you to go buy it. If you're interested in some of the things I've said today, check it out. Let me know what you think. Drop some comments below. And I'm going to be right back with book number two. Book number two. Delivering Happiness, Tony Shea, founder of Zappos. Now, if you are familiar with Tony Shea, which if you're an entrepreneur or a startup guy, you probably are because he's a bit of a legend. Um, if you're not much of a startup guy or an entrepreneur, you may not be familiar with Tony Shea, but don't stop listening just yet because Tony Shea has got a very, very interesting story in this book is dynamite. Look, first of all, anybody that opens this book with a quote from Morpheus in the Matrix, I mean, you know, you're, you're already pretty cool, right? There's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And listen, this guy lived it out. So I don't want to tell you his whole story, but let me read you the snippet or a little bit of the snippet off the back of the book. Uh, sounds crazy, delivering happiness. It's all standard operating procedure at Zappos, the online retailer did over $1 billion in gross sales annually. In delivering happiness, Tony shares the different lessons he learned in business and life from starting a worm farm to running a pizza business through Link Exchange, Zappos, and more. Listen, Zappos was sold to Amazon for a billion dollars. That's billion with a capital B. And Tony stayed on. But how he got there is a fascinating read. And what I liked about the book is you get his story. He was um, an American Asian kid growing up. In his words, you know, typical, you got to practice your instrument for hours a day. And he figured out a way to you know, record himself and fool his mom into thinking he was practicing when he wasn't. And it just goes on from there. Very entrepreneurial. Even as a kid, he was wheeling and dealing, trying to figure out how to make some money. Um, he was putting ads in newspapers, selling little button things by mail, just all kinds of craziness. So he was, he was obviously smart and intelligent. But what's really intriguing about Tony is he started an internet company called Link Exchange when he was in his early 20s. And the thing blew up. If I remember correctly, he had a couple of opportunities to sell, but he didn't, and he stuck with it. And when he finally sold it, still in his mid-20s, the buyer was Microsoft, and the sale price was hundreds of millions of dollars. And you want to know why he sold it? 
because he didn't like the culture that he'd created. He woke up one day and realized as he looked around at the people working there, he didn't like the culture of the business. He didn't like the attitudes of the people that were working there. They were his employees. It was his business. And he didn't think he could fix it. And he was so fed up with it that he sold the thing. And he thought to himself, next time I build a company, I'm going to get the culture right and make sure it's the DNA that I want. And that's what we're going to do. And that's how Zappos came around. He didn't actually come up with the idea um, for Zappos. He had a friend who was in the footwear business and together they kind of noodled and they ended up coming up with this thing. Look, when they first started, they had no inventory. They couldn't even buy inventory because they couldn't get the volume they needed. So they literally set a website up. They were selling shoes on the site. And when a shoe sold, they would literally run down to the shoe store, buy it at retail, put it in a box, and then ship it to the customer after paying retail for it. So they, they weren't even making money. But he was doing that to prove his model, to prove the concept, to figure out what was a good seller, what wasn't a good seller. And obviously, you know, the, the, the legend goes, right? I mean, they blew up, they took off. But for them to get to that point, listen, he risked it all. And I know that there's a ton of people out there that say, go raise money, go raise money, don't invest your own money, you know, take everybody else's money. On a small scale, I've been against that with Worklodge. We've bootstrapped, we've done what we could to build it with the cash that we had available. Tony did the same thing. He had bought real estate out in California and piece by piece, he was selling those things off to keep this thing running because they couldn't get money. Even 2008 with the crash and everything, they still needed more money because it was growing, but they were just vacuuming up dollars. And he literally talks about selling his, his very last condo, I think in the Bay Area, to raise funds to keep the thing alive. And then finally, you know, everything fell into place and, and you know, it all, it all went from there. But fascinating story, fascinating culture. They focus so heavily on delighting the customer, on delivering an experience that the customer would be grateful for. You know, these are the guys that came up with the crazy stuff, like, you know, seven-day returns, not as Zappos. I mean, dude, just return whenever you feel like it basically was as, as good as it was. And it sounds like they had the freedom to do anything to make a customer happy. Completely opposite to how still so many companies are run today. The other thing that was interesting about Tony as I read this book, and I didn't know this about him, obviously I'd heard the name, he was a big believer in Vegas and he moved himself there. He, he started to invest heavily in that local area. They let employees move there with them. They tried to recruit from within that local area. There was cost savings, obviously, compared to where they were before, um, but he started to work on community development projects and, and he invested tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, I think by the looks of things, into all kinds of projects all around Vegas. I mean, he was literally trying to bring old Vegas back to life single-handedly himself. And I think the final lesson um, that I took away from this, and it was amazing timing because, you know, last year we, did, we dealt with a pandemic, in case you didn't notice. I'm recording this in May of 2021, so we're on the backside of, of COVID. But last year was a very difficult year, and it turns out that Tony was a very, very social person. And this is the downside of when you have some success guys and girls who are entrepreneurs. Everybody's got their hand out and everybody wants something from you. And this is purely speculative. You can go read the stories online for yourself. I didn't know him. He was not a friend. So I don't know whether this is true or not. But generally, there seems to be a lot of smoke around the fact that Tony 
was a partier. He liked to be out and about with people all the time. He liked to have people around him all the time. Well, what happened is that changed to people on the payroll. And then now he's got this whole posse of folks who are just kind of, you know, milking it, riding the gravy train. I'm sure they had official titles of things they were doing, but, but essentially it was, you know, it was a posse that was with him, but it didn't fix the loneliness and it didn't fix the mental wellness. And he started to go off the rails and he actually stepped down from Zappos early last year, just as the pandemic was really hitting in, I think around March, April time, if I remember correctly. And um, he passed away a few months later. And there are question marks about how he passed away and whether it was a deliberate attempt to take his life or whether it was really a freak accident. But it was so sad to read of somebody who spent 20 something years almost of his life trying to deliver happiness. And at the end of his life, he had no happiness. Call it irony. Obviously, as a believer, I think we only find true happiness in a relationship with the God that created us. And this is not my attempt to convert anybody and I'm not trying to preach at you. That's just my opinion. And that's what my faith tells me. You know, Tony was looking for it somewhere and he couldn't find it. And ultimately, you know, it, it cost him his existence. And so here we are now with the legacy of a company that was built on an incredible DNA, on an incredible culture. No one else, everybody's tried to copy it and replicate it, but you can't copy something that comes out of someone's heart. And I've said this all along as an entrepreneur, don't look around at what other people are doing. Look at who you want to be and look at what you want to do and let you shine through. And if it's enough, it'll be enough. And if it's not, it's okay. Be true to yourself and be who you are, but don't try and copy what everyone else is doing because you will be a, a hollow clone of them. And you can see it when you read his culture, when you read his DNA and you look at some of the other West Coast co you know, companies and, and tech companies and what they're trying to do, they've been influenced by Tony. They've been influenced by Zappos and they've been influenced by what they were doing. When Amazon bought them, they left them alone. They didn't want to bring them into the fold and they didn't want to kind of merge them. They wanted them to stay who they, they were and Amazon wanted to learn from them. But through all of that, you know, we're left with this legacy without the founder that started it all. And it's just incredible to think, at least for me, you know, it was really mixed emotions. On the one hand, I'm reading this amazing book about this amazing guy who lived an amazing life, you know, realized he hadn't got it right first time. So he just went out and did it again and got it the way he wanted it to be. And then the real world is kicking in and I'm reading about how he's gone off the rails and all this stuff's gone wrong. The money didn't fix it. You know, he couldn't find the happiness where he was looking for it. And, um, you know, when a tragedy occurs and even now just talking about it, I, I, I can literally feel these, these two different emotions just pulling at each other. And that's unusual for me. And, and I, haven't, I haven't experienced that obviously reading any other books. And I don't really know what to make of it. I just know to say, look, go read the book if you're an entrepreneur if you're interested in business at all, even if you're not wanting to start a business, just to see how somebody could do it so well and deliver such brand loyalty, customer loyalty from treating people right, being passionate, being authentic with the customer and not just seeing them as dollar signs to extract every last nickel from. That's what's wrong with capitalism, folks. Capitalism's a good thing. Making money's okay, but screwing everybody over to make it, that's the problem, you know? And it's cultures like this that speak against that. And he gets credit, you know, and he gets a voice because he built a billion dollar company. We don't get a voice with, with million dollar companies. You get a voice with the billion dollar companies. So hats off to Tony, kudos for what you built. You know, really sad to see what happened at the end there, but read the book, excellent business book. Definitely again on my top list. I'm trying to only do book club episodes with books that I really, really highly recommend. I do read other ones that are average at best. 
I don't really read a lot of bad ones, but I'm trying to save the best ones for you guys. I hope you enjoy my thoughts on this one. Again, if you've read the book, let me know. If you haven't read the book, go read it and let me know. I like comments. Thanks, YouTubers. Y'all are just awesome and you leave comments, especially on my Tech Talk channel. If you like tech, go check it out. Tech Talk with Mike on YouTube. We do some tech reviews and things, but man, the comments go crazy over there. Uh, How about a little more love on the podcast side, folks? Get your thumbs going, make some comments and tell us what you're thinking. So that wraps up today's episode of Book Club. We'll be back next month with another couple books that we're going to take a look at. I hope you've enjoyed them. Again, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. It's been out for a few years, but awesome book. Delivering Happiness with Tony Shea. Also been out for a few years. Also an amazing book. Go check them out. Amazon sells them. Everywhere sells them. So you should find them pretty easily. And let me know what you think if you take a read of them. With that all said, we're going to be back next week with an incredible episode with a new friend of mine called Mr. Perry Marshall. Perry is the guy that literally wrote the book on Google AdWords a number of years ago. He does a number of things. He's got the largest scientific prize out there, and I'm going to leave it at that, but it's millions of dollars as a challenge to the world to try and prove something to do with DNA. Incredible guy, incredible business coach, and we had an amazing time talking. He's got a new book coming out called Memos from the Head Office. It comes out at the beginning of June. And so we wanted to make sure we could get him on the show and time this one to drop just before the book launches. Please make sure you get a listen of it. Look out for it next week on Tuesday. And other than that, again, follow me on social if you're not already, but thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Mike Thacker Show where we talk about people, profit and purpose. And uh, until next time, I guess let's go out there and be amazing, folks.